0: Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to episode 90 of the Better Faster podcast. We're both back in the studio after a three-week layoff. It feels like it's been forever. So today we're discussing a blog post that went viral in the PT community titled Running As Fast As I Can by Dr. Rachel German, who is a PT. She's a colleague. And in it, she gives six reasons for why she does not recommend going into the profession. I thought it was a well-written article, but what caught me off guard were the hundreds of responses from other PTs who were all in agreement and commiserating, and that part was really eye opening for me just to see how many people are disheartened and to see what the current perception and state of the profession is from within. So Josh and I go through the article and highlight Dr. German's six points, and we give our own opinions on the matter, and then we sum up whether or not we think PT is still a viable option for people who are either in the profession or considering going into it. Listen, if you're on Spotify, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. That way you can reach more people and keep those episode requests coming on social media. We got a few of those in the works over the next couple of weeks for you guys. Enjoy the episode. Josh, man, I feel like it's been forever since we did this. How's married life treating you?
1: Oh, man, it's good. Two weeks in, and I'm still married, so i must I must be doing okay, uh, but no, it's it's been awesome, man, you know that it's still surreal going through that whole process. It was so much fun, it was a great time, everything went really smooth. you know, they always tell you it's not gonna go perfect, and yeah, there may have been some things that weren't perfect, but for the most part, everything went pretty well, so I, I think we're we're pretty lucky in that regard, man.
0: That's good. Congrats again. I guess now you're gonna get the questions from the parents and the in-laws every week about when the babies are coming.
1: Oh, I know, man. At Kelsey's bridal shower, one of her aunts gave her a car- like a little like baby onesie of Carolina Gamecocks, and I was mm. thinking, geez, that was subtle. Um yeah, so uh which was pretty funny, but uh yeah. So. It
0: never stops, man. You get one and they ask when the second one's coming.
1: Oh man, I can only imagine. Speaking of second ones, easy segue. How's Bo doing?
0: Man, that little monster's doing great. He's uh, he's happy, he's healthy, man, and he's he's doing what babies do. He's eating, sleeping, and pooping around the clock.
1: There you go, man. Well, yeah. I'm just hoping you and Rachel and Scarlett are all getting a little bit of sleep.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, it's that new parent sleep. I mean, it's we know what we're getting into. I mean, he's basically he's mm-hmm. two, three weeks old now, so he gets up like every two hours around the clock. But it is what it is, man. It wouldn't happen any other way. That's Spe- awesome. Speaking of which, speaking of which, did you know? that fathers and newborns have a drop in testosterone anywhere from 10 to
1: 25%. I did not know that until you had brought up that the other day. when I asked you why you were drinking out of that huge glass jug.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so like I'm, I'm, I'm controlling what I can control. Right. So the theory is like this happens because either cause of poor sleep mm-hmm. and, and it's either that or some type of evolutionary thing where you don't run around procreating like Cromartie. He's got like 14 kids and seven baby mamas. I mm-hmm. got pays like, by the way, I heard he pays like three hundred thousand a year in child support. But um, That's
1: incredible. anyways,
0: <laughs> anyways, so yeah, I'm um, you know, I'm, I'm avoid, I'm getting rid of plastics or avoiding as much as I can. I'm not touching receipt paper, you know, all those things that have the xenoestrogens you know, in them, and seeing how it goes, man. But you, you know, this is my last kid, so that means that uh, I can get on that mental birth control now. That that TRT. Don't think, <laughs> don't think that, don't think that had crossed my mind at least a little bit <laughs> on oh, a little yeah. test.
1: That would be another uh, another episode for another
0: time, right there. <laughs> oh man! Hey, so you got what? A week before your clinical starts? Yep, starting next Monday. Hey, why don't you ask your CI why he hasn't followed through on his CrossFit total? Ooh, I don't know, man. You think they're scared? I mean, we put up a pretty good number. I'm just I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a little disappointed they never followed through. I I actually texted Zach a week ago. Um, he had a couple excuses, something like. I'm Too busy making money, uh, I got too many patients beating down my door to make time for it, so I'm keeping my <laughs> prayers. But you need to, uh, you need to definitely uh, get on them about that for sure.
1: All right, there'll be a subtle mentioning of our t shirt sizes to them. Uh, I mean, I thought we said, uh, what was the end of June? I thought we said a deadline, but I mean, we'll extend the deadline a little bit, but I'll, I'll make sure they know that we wear a size large.
0: Yeah, let them know, please. <laughs> Oh man! But anyway,
1: uh, today's today's episode. Finally getting into it, man. Uh, we're talking about this article that's gone uh, gone a little viral. You want to introduce the article?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, just I guess to get right into it. There is an article written just a few days ago by a physical therapist, one of our colleagues, and her name is Rachel German. I think I said her name right. If I butchered that, my bad. And I believe that the title is called "Running as Fast as I Can." Um, it's either the name of the article or the name of her blog, but. What it is, is a summary of basically six complaints or, or six reasons why she would not recommend physical therapy as a profession. And so when I saw this article, my first thought was that it, it was well-written and normally I would have read it and my next thought would have been, you know, what's for dinner? Totally forgotten about it, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that it's kind of gone viral in the PT world. It's got like hun- hundreds of likes, shares, and retweets and man i don't know about your twitter feed but mine is basically nothing but old dudes complaining about airlines about when their flights are being delayed so this is refreshing but i digress you still a thing <laughs> yeah it's it's like it's a ghost town man but uh everybody's complaining at a, uh i'm not, uh, some with the airline that kind of stuff But anyways what i digress go with
1: united man i for, just for sure. I never choose united
0: <laughs> fair enough man but uh the thing is, is that pretty much all the people who responded were either in agreeance. they or like, oh, my God, these are these are thoughts I've been having for years. And I never felt like I could say them out loud. And that's the part that caught my attention. And I think it's a little disconcerting that there's that many PTs that are either regretting their professional choice or you know, just harboring that much resentment towards their education system or like their employers, colleagues, whatever. So you know, I thought what we could do is maybe go over her her six complaints, her six bullet points, maybe just, maybe just the whole article and share our opinion since it seems to be a, a hot post this week.
1: Yeah, man. Sounds great. Let's dig into it.
0: All right. So I got this thing pulled up right now. So she starts the article talking about how this all came about because she was asked to do a bio for her company website and they wanted her to talk about why she's passionate about physical therapy. So it says, why'd you become a physical therapist? And her initial thought was because I didn't want to spend eight years in med school. And if I would have done that, maybe I would have had been make more money, so on and so forth. And so looks like she did some soul searching, talks about how she's been very involved in the profession. Let's see. She was in like student special interest group did a residency has a podcast, um, did the, took the OCS and then talks about how she's got $195,000 in debt. That's a lot of money. Hmm. Um, yeah. And let's see, reasons why she did not choose medical school is too long, nursing no autonomy, PA. Looks like she's regretting that one. Um, goes on to say that she did get inspired whenever she was in Costa Rica hanging with a PT, blah blah blah. And PT school was good. She was looks like she was working while she was in school. Now she's two years out and basically saying that she is regretting her decision to some degree because she's got it's because a high debt income ratio, false promises, high workload and she gets people to ask her, you know, if they should choose expression, she tells them nope, and she tells them to look at something else like PA school, uh, athletic trainer, nursing and then she goes on to highlight these six points. Boom. So, first one, it's in bold. Number 1 is it's just not the fact that we have student loans. It's the attitude of academia and the profession as a whole towards the growing debt. So what's your thoughts about that one?
1: Oh man. Well, uh, um, that's a lot to to synthesize through there. And I can't, I I will have to say, even though I have not begun my, uh, career practicing just yet I already have that in the, the whole uh, idea of those student loans and debt and how am I gonna you know get through this in the back of my mind right I think anybody mm-hmm. who takes on some debt at some point that they're thinking about that even if they aren't you know repaying it back you know I had a gap year between my masters and my and my doctoral program so um, I actually did have to start paying student loans back for my master's program prior to going to PT school and then having them um, you know put off again so um, you know, I, 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 briefly got into that period and I understand that that definitely can add some stress. And, and, you know, um, I debated some of those same careers that she talked about when I was trying to figure some things out. Um, mainly the PA one, you actually, uh, hooked me up with a, uh, PA that, you know, in town, that's all, that was a competitive runner that you, uh, uh, you know, had suggested a shadow to, to see if that was a career I wanted to go into. So, um, you know, there's there, I can understand, you know, that whole thought process she went through med school, the same thing for me. I didn't know if I wanted to work that hard. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't know mm-hmm. if I wanted, in my, my life to, to suck for eight years, uh, and then start to see some reward. So, uh, that was, you know, again, I'm, I, I can relate with where she's coming from. Um, I can't say for me, at least the attitude from an academia standpoint is, you know, Hey, you know, student loans, uh, you have them get over it kind of thing. Um, at least not in our program, you know, our, our program, you know, I feel like they, you know, they do talk with us, you know, extensively about you know, our student loans and ways to try to minimize as much as possible and, and and those type of things. It's kind of not of a hey, you know, you figure it out like she mentions in the article. Um, we do get, you know, that along with that first um, that first point she talks about, uh, you know, getting residencies pushed. We do you know, get a fair amount of info on potential resi- uh, residency options. But I wouldn't say it's kind of like thrust in our face, like, hey, you need to do, man, you need to be, you know, considering re- a residency, at least not from, you know, our immediate uh, people that I deal with in academia. So um, I I haven't gotten that feel of like the whole profession sitting there like, oh, you chose this, figure it out. I think we all are kind of, you know, group suffering. <laughs> um, but, I yep. mean, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's, uh, uh, you know, it's the way she, you know, she writes it, or the way she frames it. I don't know. What do you think of that first point?
0: Yeah, and and there's a little bit more in that paragraph too, because she talks about how, you know, you're going to have these student loans. Talking about considering residency, and and some people are saying residency should be mandatory, and then it goes on to say there's little, there's very little employers can do, and you know, reimbursement rates are sinking, private practices are struggling to keep head above water. I, I'm just not seeing that. right? so. Yeah. You know, especially that that last point, I'm I'm not seeing the constant drop in reimbursement. Now, I do admit that as an insider, you know, maybe I live so close to the trees I can't see the forest, but at least in South Carolina, it, it's not terrible. I mean, it could yeah. be completely different in other states, but you know, what we do at our practice, we just don't get a network with the insurances that don't pay well enough. You right. know, be selective, right? And you know, I'll say this though, our our biggest payer is Blue Cross Blue Shield and and their reimbursement hasn't changed at all in the last 20 years, and that ain't good because reimbursement does dictate salary and and guess what your tuitions go up every single year. So, you know, that hurt, that certainly has not reflected inflation. Um, You know, I, as far as, as far as PT school goes, I mean, I think really at this point, you you can't just apply to schools and, and pick one because you like the location or it's, it's, you know, your top school for some reason. I think you got to take your time and shop around for the more affordable schools and definitely get a job while you're in school too. I mean, it's so, it's so annoying when I hear that PT schools tell their students explicitly not to get jobs. I mean, that is messed up. If you right. can make $20,000 over three years while in school, that's not hard. That's like 10 hours a week over the course of three years. You know, that can, that can take off years. That can take years off your repayment, especially those unsubsidized loans that accrue. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, other than that, like, I, you know, I do, I, 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 I do empathize. I do feel for the students that have student loans. You know, I had, I had between my wife and I, we had, you know, clo- it was it was closer to 140,000. And we paid it off and it sucked and it's not fun and, you know, you got to live for and that kind of thing too. But I, honestly, if I had close to $200,000 of debt, I, I don't know if I would have picked the profession if I had that much. But I guess what I'm saying is, you know, do take your time and, and kind of, <laughs> you know, make sure you know what you're getting into because I I do hear some students that they kind of get sticker shock whenever they, or whenever they're new graduates and they first get on like crap, I didn't know it was going to be this expensive.
1: Right.
0: And I don't know about you, man, but (laughs) I remember signing those forms when I was a student, man. It's like, here's a disbursement amount, sign here, 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 and here. Here's your interest rate form, sign here, 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 and here. And wait, there's more, it's getting annoying, right? Here's the promissory note, right? Sign here, 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 here. Oh, also give me a drop of blood as well too. So, you know, I, you can't really use that excuse. You can't use a silly me excuse that, oh, I didn't know it was gonna cost this much. Right? know I was gonna have to pay off this much. And um, I admit it, it is a mess, right? And it seems to only be getting worse, but I think that there are some things you can do on the front end to, to hopefully, you know, mitigate those um, hardships.
1: Yeah, no, I think you made a good point there. Uh, when, especially as a student, when you're looking at PT schools, uh, is really do your homework on what the the culmination of cost is going to be, um, and that includes, you know, you're not just the tuition of the school, but cost of living in that area. I mean, you gotta you gotta really do your research because um, all PT schools have one job, and and their job is to help you pass the the NPTE, and that is, um, you know, that's really the only thing that they're supposed to do right i mean yeah they're going to help you become a good pt but you're, you're not learning how to be a pt really in in class you're learning how to pass an exam uh, at least mm-hmm. in my opinion i'm learning how to be a pt from my my different clinical experiences from following the right people going to canoe ed courses in the areas in which i want to learn and, and be able to excel you know their job is to help you pass the exam and so you can look at every single school and see how well they do that almost all of them publish that data um, and then also you know so if that school is Doing their job, they are helping their people pass the exam early on. You know, their first time they take it, or they have a lifetime pass rate of 100 um, percent. You know that there there are jobs for PTs out there, so you're gonna find a job with that degree. So if you if they're if they're helping you know if they're making sure that their students are passing, then start looking at how much does it cost and and really do your homework because you know just because it might be in a cool location or it's a well known university, um, it doesn't mean it's the best choice for you in your situation. So um, I would definitely recommend really digging into that and that's why I tell people when I've got people ask me oh how why did you pick USC that kind of thing um, one I lived in Columbia already it made sense financially for me in state tuition not wasn't wasn't all that much um relative to um some other pt schools i began to look into so um i do think you're right you gotta look in there i think working is important too yeah that first semester was rough right that was that was tough but after that man you find your groove there's no reason that you couldn't be doing something you know um mm-hmm. i think that there's you know, like you mentioned 10 hours a week built you know at least enough to where you're only taking out loans um to pay tuition and then you're not taking out anything to cover any of your living expenses you know i think that's like mm-hmm. a a good thing to shoot for um and, you know, I think you're right. I think some people get into, they get through the school and they come out with a lot more money than they expected in debt. And then now they're kind of having that, that, oh shit moment. Um, so yeah, maybe they do regret it a little bit, but as you mentioned, there are things you can do on the front end. Um, and I think the important thing as a profession now is to educate students and people who are looking into PT on what they need to do to make sure that they learn from the mistakes that, that maybe we had made.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. And um, just as a side note, because I've been looking into this lately, partly because of the controversy we've had around the new president of the University of South Carolina, and yeah. because I got a son now, I'm just now opening up his uh, college savings account. Mm-hmm. South Carolina has actually been consistently one of the top five most expensive states for higher education overall. Really? Just because, wow. yeah, you look at you look at how tuition goes up each year. It's yep. crazy, man. It gets, it's been one of the highest in the nation. Um, so I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know about this, uh, this, this new president situation. A, a lot of people are upset about it, but God, I mean, it looks like we've had a lot of squishy people in those leadership positions. So, um, I'd like to see maybe if this guy can, um, you know, make some changes for the better. So again, yeah. these students are having so many hardships and, and it's interesting, man, because you know, lawmakers are going to blame school administration, administration blames the lawmakers. And, and I think the truth is somewhere in the middle, but, um, I think it all, that's a political situation, but that's a, that's a side note, that's my side there. All right, so number two, number two states that advanced practice is not well defined and does not come with an increase in pay. And so she goes on to talk about how you know she was a resident and that changed the way that she practiced and had good mentorship and you know talked about how she got the OCS and as a better clinician, but really what it comes down to is nobody outside the profession knows what an OCS is or what it means.
1: Yeah, man. I think that that's, um, that is one thing that is kind of tough for me a little bit too, in terms of like what I can see why people are not incentivized to, to do residencies or, or to push to become the best clinician they can be, because again, there, it doesn't change their pay. Um, and so I can understand that argument there that, um, that's an issue. And, but my question is how, you know, how do we address it rather than complaining about it? How do we, how do we address that? Right. And you're Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Maybe the, the outside of the profession, people don't understand what an OCS is, but in a practice like um, like ours, like Vertex, um, in which there's a self pay component, but you're not in network with these these companies that are not um, you know giving you great and they don't have great reimbursement rates. Um, your clinical practice and your ability to perform well is what drives your business anyway. So, if, you know, if you need to do a residency become the best clinician possible and you're focused on quality in that way, like that's the incentive to, to become the best you can be. It may not be a direct salary increase there, but when you're talking about, you know, growing a practice, growing a business, it's all about your reputation of getting people better. And so there, there, you know, if you look at like, okay, yeah, this residency is an investment in my future career, then, and then there still could be a, a um, kind of incentive to do that. But you're right, there's not necessarily going to be a direct pay increase um, from, from going and doing this residency or trying to be, you know, doing all these things to become the best clinician possible. But I think there's the, there's an indirect benefit too that's hard to quantify.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, I think on some of those points, I respectfully disagree with that because I, I think, you know, my opinion on this, we talk about this yeah. all the time, but I think I think residencies are just a huge ripoff. I mean, <laughs> you're talking about a huge opportunity cost to to take the OCS year early. I mean, if you want mentorship, you can get with mentors in some form or fashion. It doesn't necessarily have to be through residency. And, you know, I can say this because I have the OCS, but it is not that hard to get. All you do is read a study guide and take a test and boom, you're board certified. And, you know, the the, the problem with this is, that again, it's, it's like what she, it is like, what she said. no patients care that you have it. I mean, they barely know what a PT is in the first place. And, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to work with PTs who are residency trained over the years and, and PTs who are not, we, we have both kinds on staff and to be honest with you, man, I, I can't tell a huge difference between the two. I mean, they're all great PTs. They're all continual learners and, and they all take ownership um, with, for their education now that the formal process is, is done and they all get great outcomes in the clinic. You know, I just, I can't for the life of me understand why, why some schools are, shoving this down people's throats and you know guess how much reimbursement goes up when you get board certified Zero. Zero. <laughs> yeah. Zero.
1: No, no, I know. I know what you're saying too. And and I, I think you're exactly right. And I don't anticipate, you know, under, you know, going into residency myself. Um, I may study for and take the OCS outside of, of a residency potentially, but um, I, I see exactly what you're saying. I was thinking more along the lines of if you feel like you need to continually improve, um, I think, for, you know, you should prioritize your ability as a PT. I think some people just settle. Um, I think because they know they're not going to get paid more. They have a job They're, you know, the, the, you know, employment rate for PTs is so high, like they're, they're not worried about, you know, how well they do. I think that, that a person exists. And it, and I think that's uh, not great for the profession. So we should all, like you mentioned, whether those PTs that you're talking about are residency trained or not, they're continual learners, and they're trying to improve themselves. And they're trying to be to practice at the top of their license, um, which is her next point. But, um, Yeah. You know, so, um, so I think that that is something that if you have to look in the mirror and you think, okay, I need something to help, you know, keep pushing me and residency is the option that you think will help. Then I can see that. Um, but I see what you're saying too. I was trying to, I was trying to be nice about it, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I just, I mean, God, there's so many avenues out there nowadays. I mean, especially with, some of these residencies being online in the first place. And it's like the same freaking slides, slides that you get on a weekend. It's anyway, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of weird. It's very, yeah. it's not standardized at all. All right. Number three. So number three says a large percentage of the profession does not practice at the top of their license. And uh, she goes on to say, if I had hazard a guess, I would say greater than 50%. And that's probably on the low side. People are using a ton of modalities. You got to bill four units to turn a profit. Um, you got new, new grads that are, you know, having all this evidence-based didactic work in school. And then when they graduate and go to the real world, the clinicians are using a bunch of ultrasound and e and laser, and they don't feel like they can do anything to change it. Right. So uh, what do you think about this
1: one? Man. Um, yeah. As someone who is studying for the NPTE currently um, and reading through the, uh, you know, study materials and taking practice exam questions and seeing what the experts are saying is the right answer. I, I'm not surprised by her guess that, you know, greater than 50% of people have her number um, is not practicing up to their top of their license. And she said, that's probably on the low side um, because yeah, it's, the stuff we have to learn to practice this exam, which in theory is supposed to be what is being used out in the real world, right? Because they do, you know, surveys of clinicians to determine what, you know, is actually happening in clinical practice. So, you know, if that's really what's going on and we're learning that is the right answer, and then we go into practice immediately after taking that exam, you know, and we also see that happening from from maybe some older clinicians that have been doing it for a little while, I, I'm not surprised that that. Um, this is happening. Um, I think that there is a big push to change that. And PT is leading from the front. Um, and you know, we've had, you know, again, some, some great people, uh, on the podcast some great, uh, you know, clinicians that are, are doing a lot to change that, you know, we've had so many of the ice guys have guys like, like Seth and, and some other people on the podcast that are just doing, you know, some amazing things that you don't learn in school. So, um, and I think that's, you know, that's what we have to focus on: is how do we change that? You know, rather yeah, we can harp on it all day, but what are we going to do about it?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, it's it's embarrassing. You know, I, I legitimately feel embarrassed for any PT that still has these ultrasound in clinic. And, and I'm seeing on the plus side, I am seeing more and more as time goes on. The dinosaurs are slowly dying off, and I right. think you are seeing less people waste their patients time and money with a bunch of modalities, but. Even, even if it was a money thing, you get paid more with exercise and manual therapy. And yeah, you know, I'm scratching my head at that one. I still don't understand why people do that kind of stuff, but I mean, yeah, you see this in any profession, right? You're going to have people that are just there to get a paycheck, people who are practicing that at the top of your license. And you got people who are just in the, in the PT business, but not in the PT profession, right? So, so the a difference between the two is dollars and cents. If it makes dollars, it makes sense. And you know, the thing is, 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 when a patient comes in and they tell me stories about their old PT using ultrasound or how they were like double booked or triple booked with another patient, you know, I cringe because that kind of stuff makes us all look bad as a, as a, as a profession. I mean, that gives people a bad taste in their mouth about what PT is and what PT does. And that ain't helping anyone. So if you're one of those PTs listening, stop it. It's weird. It's unethical. And and don't blame your boss. Go get a new job. You can do it. There's plenty of good places out there.
1: Yeah. If you want to submit a resume. uh. (laughs) Uh, No, no. Yeah. I think that this is tough. You know, again, I'm also, I have not been in the, unfortunately, I haven't been in, you know, a lot of clinics where this has been going on. Um, You know, I've done, I've been in some clinics where we've used some different, you know, modalities or different things that I probably would not use in my own practice, but that's part of the learning process as a student is you realize what, you know, you, you get to see what you don't think is going to work too um, so um, I think that the you know just because you're a student on a rotation or you're in a clinic your new clinician in a clinic and and somebody's using it um, you know that you should still Look at it with a with a, a little bit of a question, like okay well why why are they using that what What do they think is the perceived benefit i 'd ask questions and then see if you can have a, a good conversation that might end up resulting in some meaningful change um, you know some people aren 't going yeah. to change, but you know the other thing is trying to be that that mode of change, but uh, it, it's a lot of it 's kind of being you know, tactful about it. How do you, how do you approach it? And then, and then again, like you mentioned, if you don't like it, you can find another job, um, Right. No,
0: that, that, that is a good approach. Like that is, that is a really good way to handle it. And, you know, I was actually speaking from experience from my first jobs where, um, we were basically told to do one or the other to get that extra and that, uh, it's, it's dirty. It is so dirty. Yeah,
1: no, I, I, yeah, and you don't, especially if you think it's, if it's something that's unethical too. you have to really make sure that you're, you're doing things the right way. Um, but, you know, if it's something that's just, you don't think is going to actually be beneficial for the patient, well, that's a, you know, potential learning experience for everybody at the clinic. Um, and it's trying to, you know, trying to keep pushing the, the, you know, the profession forward, as you mentioned, you know, find, find other people that are leading from the front and then also try to lead from the front yourself too. So, um, yeah, it's definitely, tough and embarrassing and and you know uh, you know people still think we're glorified massage therapists sometimes and and we're just gonna teach you how to stretch um or rub on it a little bit but um you know hopefully you know over time you know all we can do is control our own practice and do the best that we can and try to educate patients and other clinicians and and hopefully that changes
0: yeah for sure all right. What's next? Are we on number four? And four. All right. Mm-hmm. Number four. Number four says direct access does not mean we are primary care providers. So. She goes on to say, in spite of the Choose PT and Get PT First camp- campaigns, we're not considered primary providers. Direct access increases patients to care, but it's not all for benefits of being a primary care provider. Um, therefore, you know, in spite of us having this doctor degree being an entry point, uh, we're not eligible for a lot of programs that the other professions get, like student, ro- student loan repayment, mortgage assistance, things like that. And looks like the APTA is currently working on it. Any yeah. initial thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, I think this is again. I think what's the underlying thing of a lot of these? Um, you know, the first one, is student loans. The second one, uh, advanced practice, but not increased pay. Um, and then this one also too, not eligible for certain things like loan repayment, mortgage uh, assistance. Ultimately, again, it comes back down, uh, comes back to that same point of having a lot of debt and not feeling like you make enough money, um, mm-hmm. or not feeling like that stu- that that ratio is there. And we already mentioned some strategies there of of trying to address that. Right. Um, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect system. And yeah, maybe those things would be great. You know, more student loan repayment or mortgage assistance opportunities would be great. Um, but I do think, you know, these, you know, this is kind of a shot at like, okay, well, yeah, we're, we are able to, to see patients earlier and now they can come to us, but we're still not primary care providers. Ultimately in the grand scheme of things, I, you know, it still is about you know helping the you know the patient first and providing a great outcome and saving them money over time too so yeah it would be nice to have those other things and maybe one day we'll get there too but we're still harping on the same issue over and over from just different sides um, we have too much debt we don't make enough
0: money yep and so my, my opinion of this is is just direct access right again I am mostly familiar with South Carolina I don't really focus on what's going on in other states I know south carolina is a pretty good state as other states have a better there's some states that still have it pretty bad and in south carolina so basically we do not have unlimited direct access so we have 30-day direct access and even that does come with some caveats like with medicare and certain tricare patients but for the most part it's not that big of a deal it's actually pretty easy, easy to navigate that system and get referrals when you need them a lot of times just make a two-minute phone call but the problem is, it's in my opinion is not that we don't have direct access it's that the public as a whole doesn't seem to value and seek us out. Right. So you take low back pain. It's, it's still like less than 10% of people that have low back pain seek care first from a PT because most of they are going to go see their MD or probably a chiropractor or someone else. And that's on us. That's on us as PTs because we historically are terrible at demonstrating our value and marketing our services right and you you asked this earlier how can we change that and you know i don't know the answer but my opinion i, I honestly think that we cannot change it from a top down from a macro approach i don't think the apta is going to be able to do this for us it's got to start with every patient that you market to every patient that comes through your door you know they need a world-class experience you got to knock it out of the park and over time you know i do think you'll see that shift but again Historically, the the choose PT and get PT first campaigns that you know they're they're not working. So we got to put our focus into something else.
1: Yeah, so I, th- I think you're exactly right, man. Um, and it comes back down to like you have to focus on your ability and the care you provide and practicing at the top of your license and making sure that your clinic and the other clinicians you're working together to educate each other to make, to, to make sure that all of you are, are practicing up to the best that you can to where you know, again, you're thought of in your area as the place to go first. And that you know like you mentioned, it doesn't happen from the top down. It happens like you have to start with your clinic and your area. And then work out from there. Um, And so I think that's what's the what drew me to wanting to be a part of Vertex in the first place was, um, you know, I didn't realize that direct access wasn't a thing everywhere, or I didn't even realize that direct access had been an issue. When I first, you know, when I, when, I moved, when I moved to Carolina for school and I was going through it, like I just assumed everybody had an issue, they went to a PT because that was the standard where I was. That was the standard in the gym I went to or the people that I hung around or, or you know, in the active community. It was, oh, you have an issue where well, you're going to go to, you know, you need to see this PT and you need to go over to Vertex. Or you need to go see, at the time, it was, you need to go see Brandon in, in, inside Carolina CrossFit. It was like that was the standard that was created and that you know it i didn't realize until i got further into this pt journey that it had been such an issue and other places don't have this option and all this kind of stuff so it was kind of eye opening but that culture was something that was just created by those people in that area and so i think that's where that's where it starts first
0: Mm-hmm. yeah I totally agree you know again it's it's got to be up to you as a clinician to change that. I don't think you can expect anyone to do that for you
1: yeah so how do you how do you do that you 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 know there you know my biggest thing, especially if you're we're talking about working with you know crossroads or gyms is like go to the gym, involve yourself in the community. We've talked about this so many times before set up a booth, offer to do a mobility night or do like you know you used to come and do on Saturdays, do like the warm up for the classes. We would go through some different you know uh, dynamic warm up and activation stuff prior to um, you know, like prior to the workout. And so like you're getting in front of people and you're sending them know. and then there's a little mention like, Hey, you got any, any aches and pains you ever needed somebody to look at? Give me a call. My card's up there on the desk. You know, and it's like little things that just, just get out there in front of people and, and try to jump, join into the community. So, I mean, like, it's not as hard as people think to get yourself out there. You just have to be willing to do it.
0: Give, 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 ask. Yeah. yeah. You just got to put the time in. Yeah. yeah.
1: Or start putting out content, man. Like that's what I, it's like, you know, yeah, you might not have a big social media following. That's okay. But, you know, start putting out content. And over time, if it's good content, eventually the followers will come.
0: Yeah, and with that, just be consistent.
1: Yeah. You can't that's, expect that's it all I to struggle. happen in a day. Yeah, that's where I struggle with the consistency. Yeah. Um, yep. yep. So, uh, yeah, do better than I do. <laughs> Put out <laughs> stuff more consistently.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, sh- go uh, check out uh, Shante Cofield, the Movement meister. She's Perfect probably example. our fields on that. Yeah, she can tell you all about how to do it. All right. Moving on, number five. Number five says the House of Delegates does not represent the population it claims to serve, and goes on to say, for those who don't know, the House of Delegates is the policymaking body of the APTA. Each state sends a delegation, and the delegates vote on policies and guide the actions of the APTA. For example, that pesky doctor degree, the House of Delegates voted on that. Um, she goes on to talk about opposition to position-owned PT services. We call those POPS for short, and States that the House of Delegates is mainly composed of academia. Um, Delegates are not required to reach out to their constituents to gather opinions to inform decisions, and so on and so forth. So, so what do you think, Josh? You think the uh, you think the House of Delegates is a little out of touch with the people that they represent? Man,
1: that's uh, a tough question for me to answer. I think at this point in my career because I'm still um, trying to better understand the inner workings of the APTA and how things have to happen or how things should happen or how they're supposed to happen and who actually is involved in that process. So I'm still growing in my knowledge of that area, but I think, um, it, it, you know, based on her statement of these House of Ge- Delegates being primarily composed of academia, also um, if they're not required to really, you know, actually be involved with commu- in communication with their constituents, people are supposed to be representing. Then, then I can see how there could be a disconnect there because, as we mentioned already, man, in the the purpose of the people in your academic institutions is to help you pass an exam. And that, mm-hmm. that passing that exam is is based on a lot of material that's not actually, um, or a lot of material and way of doing things that isn't how things really are being done at, you know, at the, again, that we mentioned at the top level of, you know, our license. So, you know, if you're not actually, in communication with those people who are out there doing things that we've already mentioned. And then, yeah, I can see how there might be a little bit of a disconnect and how things aren't getting done. Um, I know, uh, at least in South Carolina, we, we lost pop. So I know there's been some, uh, some disconnect, at least at our state level. So, um, I think there, there's definitely an issue there, but I might not be the best person to, to dive into that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm not super informed on this topic either. I I I did not know that they were mainly composed of academia. That's that was news to me. I mean, I right. think that was, so, that yeah, was I'm making that assumption based on her. what she said, yeah. yeah. But that that did get me thinking though. I mean, like so the the part about how they were the ones that decided on the, the doctor degree. I mean, what, what do you think about that? All that money and time to call yourself a doctor, is, is it worth it to make that change?
1: Well, I mean, well, we always talk about with surgeons too. I mean, every, uh, everybody, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail or you have a hammer, yeah. everything's a nail. It's like, you're in academia. You want people in school longer. I mean, I mean, like, I don't want to make that, uh, that assumption. I don't want to accuse anybody of like thinking of their own personal gain there. Cause I understand what the, I can see what the thought is there we're trying to you know appear more legitimate or or, or kind of appeal to the pop uh, you know population of being this frontline provider there and a doctoral degree and having doctor in front of your name maybe does that maybe it doesn't so i can i can I can see where maybe they were going with that but you know, I guess if Compute, it is compete
0: with chiropractors. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, it's like, if you know, Dr. Smith down the road and then Mr. Smith right here too. And, you know, is there some kind of connotation there on who you might go to? I mean, and there's, I can see some of it there, but yeah, if it is primarily academia, uh, you know, deciding it should be a doctoral degree, uh, maybe there is some, some undue influence there.
0: Yeah. I mean, this one, this one definitely got me thinking a little bit too. I mean, I, I, I think at the end of the day, I'm going to be biased, right? It's just like, right. if you talked to someone who, did a residency. They're going to say do a residency because I did one and it was worth it. And I spent a lot of money right. on it, that sort of thing. But if you just think about it by the numbers, I mean, think about that opportunity cost, right? So yeah, if you, if it was just a two-year degree, it was still a master's degree. You add that third year on to it. I mean, that's, that's like a hundred thousand dollar opportunity cost there. I mean, we're talking like an extra year is probably at, at least we'll call it $30,000, right? And you could have made, I don't know, 65 on the low end, even yeah. with a master's degree. That's, whew, that's something to think about, but you know, I'm proud of my DPT. I, I would gladly pay more for it um not i wouldn't get myself into $200,000 of debt but
1: right. you know
0: i do i do sometimes wonder you know what all went in consideration when that change was made because again salaries uh salaries did not go up when we switched right. to DP. it did not reflect the cost the level of education whatsoever and that's kind of crazy when you think about it
1: right yeah that's it, it's yeah and i didn't have you know i didn't have the the option um you know coming through it was you know everything was a doctoral degree at that point um so you know I don't know anything other than that um but yeah same yeah, here yeah so it's uh yeah i mean it's it's kind of a shame a little bit that you know there's this increase and in, rise in in cost without this uh benefit on the other side but um you know I, again i'm excited to to you know have graduated and have a DPT and I'll be very proud of that and not going to walk around calling myself Dr. Josh or anything, but, um, I, you know, necessarily, but I'll, uh, I'm definitely going to be proud of it. And I, I mean, I would definitely have paid a little bit more for it and, you know, $200,000 is a lot of money though. So I mm-hmm. think that comes down to our points earlier of doing your homework and then planning appropriately. And maybe that's something that schools need to have, uh, you know, to do a better job of is, is have some kind of financial advising in place, um, or you know, something that can you know really help you with that. I don't know, it might already be there. I don't know, I didn't seek it out, but um, maybe that's uh, a, you know, a change that could be beneficial.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, and then the last point, number six, we are condescending assholes to each other on social media. So my, my honest opinion on this one is, I, I think she did that to disarm the haters from saying stuff like, if you don't like it, you can quit. But man, it, is it, isn't that the internet in a nutshell?
1: Oh yeah, man. Keyboard warriors. People and say people will say so much things that they will not say to your face, but they will say it through their keyboard.
0: Yeah, on the internet you can be a five six man or a six five woman, man. I swear people will post negative stuff either just to get in arguments or or yeah. just to get attention to, to feed their ego, man. It's 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 a little weird out there yeah
1: and I think you know there's a lot of issues with uh, electronic communication in general in terms of you don't know intona- uh, you know intonation or con- you know connotation you can't necessarily tell sarcasm necessarily through a keyboard and and so I think that that leads to some some issues too um, you know at least just inherently when someone might actually be trying to have a general uh, you know debate like a cordial debate it kind of turns ugly because people you know they honestly can't tell what the other person's really saying um, and, but then there of course there are other people like to poke the bear you know there are people that just like to come in and cause a problem because they think it's funny and it's entertaining for them and and that does honestly it discourages great conversation and that's part of the issue there um, is you know a lot of times I think we could social media can be a gift and a curse and you know I'm I, I can you know I'm lucky enough that I'm you know we're in an age now where I feel like I can seek out some amazing clinicians and get a lot of great information from them but at the same time man it's like you get you you know you'll get some people where you're trying to have a conversation with them or 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 something like that and it's nothing it turns into just like uh personal attacks back and forth and that that isn't beneficial for anybody so um i I think that uh there are definitely some trolls out there and you have to if you're going to be somebody that puts content out there you just have to accept it um and and not waste your time and move on and and realize when it's a conversation worth having and when that you just need to, to forget about the troll
0: yeah and i think just a, a good general rule to follow is anything that you put out there especially if you're representing yourself professionally or a business somebody like that, just keep it positive and generally you can't go wrong with that for the yep. most part and um i mean it's like it's like uh, what your mom used to tell you right if uh, you ain't know, got nothing nice say don't say anything at all
1: yeah, man. I mean, yeah, it it's it's a shame that that sometimes there's there's sometimes like great conversations that could be had that are, you know, lost because someone had to come in and, and blow it up a little bit. But at the same time, there are great conversation and forums out there too. You just have to to seek those out and figure out where to go for those, man. And mm-hmm. and it still can be a, a great environment and you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully, people who maybe read this and were thinking about uh, saying a comment and read that maybe realize that they're one of those assholes and they just need to stop <laughs> putting those comments.
0: Yeah, just so sad, she probably disarmed him right off the bat yeah, when he read that. Yeah, yeah.
1: That was, there you go.
0: Yeah. Um. So, you yeah. know, I think I think just in in summary, after reading this, you know, again, I I thought it was great that she did this and she kind of got her opinion out there, but I do think that there's still plenty of good. In this profession, and plenty of reasons why you still should consider being a PT. Um, yeah, I still recommend it, but but maybe with an asterisk, right? So proceed with caution. So my first one is that if you take too much money out, the the borrower is slave to the lenders so from the Bible, Proverbs twenty two seven. And end of the day, I love what I do. Uh, I get to use all kinds of aspects, not only for my PT school education, but also from my undergrad exercise science degree. And it's it's very rewarding. It can be a very rewarding profession where I get to make a tremendous e- impact in people's lives and. You know, financially, I'm at a point now where I'm eight years out of school and not only this profession, but the people that I've associated myself with, the people who I work with, you know, I'm set up now to where I'm I'm debt free. I'm not only able to invest heavily into retirement, but my wife and I are getting ready to pull the trigger on purchasing our first rental property. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be in this situation had I went to med school, maybe PA school. But, you know, that that does seem to give you a lot of bang for the buck. But I still don't think it'd be as fulfilling just sitting around prescribing drugs and imaging all day long. So, but with that said, you know, I do reserve my right to change my mind tomorrow and I could have completely different opinion or a different stance five to 10 years down the road, but um, I I think it's still a great profession. There's a lot of reasons that you should consider doing it.
1: Yeah, man, I'm on the same, I'm in the same boat. Um, Again, I'm, I'm new into this field and I haven't gotten to uh, practice full- time just yet but uh, I think you know you're putting an asterisk on it, um, it it is smart it's like you know if you're able to do so and acquire this this degree for what would be considered an affordable amount of debt I guess if there is such thing as an affordable amount of debt um, the, if, you, if you're able to be smart about it then yeah it's very rewarding if you notice none of those points were about the actual work that the act clinician's doing um, so your work with your patient right there were none of those points. There were things mainly about the uh, problems from a financial standpoint, other clinicians not doing what you think is right, or, you know, the, you know, our legislation and the people are representatives not doing enough or people on social media. None of it was about the actual interaction and work with the patients themselves. So that mm-hmm. I think we, you know, I, 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 struggle to find many PTs who don't enjoy that aspect of it. It's a lot of those other aspects that, that people kind of talk about. Um, so I think if you do the work on the front end or you're smart about it, you take those steps to ensure that you're not, Strained financially, and you're working in a great environment, and you're you have people around you that are pushing you to grow as a clinician, and you're you're working to expand your reach within your community to improve your you know yourself and your clinic as as a frontline provider in your area. Then you're not going to have a lot of those issues on there. So uh, that that Mm -hmm. she mentioned. So I think some of it's in our control. So not everything's in our control, but some of it is.
0: Mm -hmm, For sure. Well, I think that's a a good place to uh, end the episode there, and. Josh, one other thing I want to say is that if it looks like I hit puberty at age 34, or if you know I shaved my head bald, let's actually not go with that because my hairlines are receding. You know, it's almost time to fire for quits. But if you start if you start seeing me uh, wear some XL shirts, you know what's up. You know you know what's up, man. Oh, man. All right, all right. So be sure to follow us on Instagram at Better Faster Podcast, and if you're listening on Spotify, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave us five star review so we can reach more people. We'll be back next Monday, and y'all have a great week. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialists. One patient per doctor of physical therapy
1: per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.